Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. For another interview and keep them coming is my friend and my business mentor, Joel Barrett. Joel is an LGBTQ writer, speaker, and gatherer who has his own company called Joel Speaks Out. He's also quite active in the entrepreneur community as well as the LGBT chamber, which is so near and dear to my heart. Joel finished his book, so I wanted to have him back on to tell me all and you all about Godly But Gay. This is his story of basically from childhood up until coming out, but he was a Baptist minister, was married and has four children with his ex-wife. And it, it <laughs> the book had me cracking up several times. And, and also just thinking about, man, how many people have gone through this pattern of shame and then compulsive behavior. That's, that's not always healthy sexually as far as you know if you're not always taking precautions with your safety you're not always taking precautions with your sexual health and using protection things like that we don't always take the best care of ourselves physically and mentally when we are doing things uh, that are hidden and Joel was definitely feeling the effects of that and even went into conversion therapy through Exodus International which you may know from the Netflix special Pray Away and I mean, it was basically the go ex gay or go broke is what I said in the episode. Really what I hope we highlighted on this episode was when there's, when there are things that are hidden, when we are not living as our true selves, and I said it a lot in the episode, being authentic, when we're not being authentic, it is easy to fall into a pattern of behavior that feels outside of ourselves, that almost as he described at one point, that perhaps perhaps he had a sex addiction. And it's not the first time I've heard it from someone who's hiding their true selves from their spouse or their family, and then they feel like they're participating in behaviors that just aren't really them, but it's almost like they can't stop. And then as soon as they are out and living as themselves and just being unabashedly them, that's often when some of that compulsion and some of those behaviors dissipate. It's like that once the taboo is gone, once that stigma is gone and the shame is gone, it's way more easy to just level out and just be yourself. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> Participate in healthier behaviors for yourself mentally and physically. Joel even read an excerpt from his book that I, again, chuckle at because he had such a conservative upbringing. He has very little pop culture knowledge. He's, it's getting there. You know, he's been out for a while. So I think exposure with his husband and friends, he's definitely picked up some things along the way. But I even still uh, make some references and, and he doesn't get it. But there was a instance where he was at a gay club and he wasn't quite sure who was singing this beautiful song that he just, you know, twirled and danced and lost himself in. So I had him read that that section because it was it was speaking to the value of personal freedom and freedom of expression of yourself and oh, 
So many things shift in people's lives once they feel like they are truly being themselves. And I don't mean, I don't mean people who are like on the path to discovering who they are. I mean, I mean people who know who they are, but don't feel like they can be that person outwardly for fear of losing things or losing people. I mean, Joel's very clear in his story. He lost a lot when he started living his life for himself. But I asked him how many regrets he had, and I hope you are not surprised at his answer that he gives. Check the show notes. You will find a link to joelspeaksout.com where you can pick up a copy of Godly But Gay yourself. Or book Joel for a coaching session or to come speak with your organization, things like that. As always, thank you so very much for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe, all the things. Follow me on the socials. I'm still having fun on TikTok, but I've slowed down a little bit lately on my posts. I'm just trying to keep my page from getting banned permanently. (laughs) I'm still on the cusp there, unfortunately. I'm really just giving sex education, but people report my stuff because they're assholes. Enough lamenting about social media. Enjoy this episode with Joel Barrett. Back for another episode is my dear friend and business mentor, Joel Barrett. Welcome back to Keep Them Coming. Hello, Kristen. I'm so happy to be on again. I love you. I love the work that you do so much. Thank you. Right back at you. Well, the reason I've got Joel back on the show today is because he has finished his book. If you listened to his previous episode, he was working on finishing up that memoir. So it's done now. And it's called Godly But Gay, A Story of Contradictions, Conversion Therapy, and Coming Out. Congrats on finishing your book. Thank you. It feels like birthing a baby, as close as I could get to that, at least. (laughs) (laughs) It's a labor of love. Exactly. As I'm working on mine, I feel that. I feel that. I feel that. (laughs) So tell tell the listeners a little bit about your book. Well, it's many years in the making. (laughs) Um, But I got serious about it a couple of years ago and really just made it happen during 2020. Yeah, during 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, gee, a little thing happened that made it easier yeah, to <laughs> exactly. But you know, all of my life, I've known that I need to write this story. Um, my story is so much of what I use when I speak. Um, when I, I I'm a storyteller by nature, so I, I love to tell stories. And I found that when I am open, honest, transparent about the struggles, the things in my life, it really encourages other people to do the same and Mm -hmm. to take a close look at at their lives. And so as an LGBTQ uh, author, speaker, gatherer through Joel Speaks Out, I have needed to have the book to go along with the speaking that I do. And so I finally do. And I chose the part of my life, basically elements of my youth all the way up until coming out. And then it pretty much stops there. Mm -hmm. Um, But with a lot of strong emphasis on growing up in very conservative, fundamental, independent Baptist churches. Um, When I say that, I try to help people that are unfamiliar with that little string of words that I gave. Uh, Just imagine uh, the softer side of the Westboro Baptist Church. (laughs) That's that's about where we were. And uh, when I watch documentaries on cults and things, I go, oh, that's a lot like what I grew up in. 
and I was a Baptist minister. I did. I was a willing participant of all of this and became a Baptist pastor. Um, always knew I was gay, but that was not an option mm -hmm. um, in my world. And it was a sin. And so in my mind, I had a sin problem that needed to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Funny how it's framed and, that way. Yes, it's not a... Yeah, <laughs> because if, you, if you're in that world, if you're struggling with a sin... Well, of course, God has made a way for you to be free of that, to be delivered of it. And so that becomes your goal is like, okay, even there's a term in the Bible is called the besetting sin. It's the sin that like just keeps bothering you over and over again. And mm. So it's kind of put out there as, well, everybody has their besetting sins. And they, um, when they talk about it like that, it sounds like it's all like, oh, well, you got one and I got one and she's got one. But then <laughs> as soon as somebody finds out that yours is that you feel gay, that's very different. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly, mm -hmm. oh, so Kristen's besetting sin might be she's a little prideful, but we can all tolerate that. But as soon as Joel's little setting sin is that he's gay, it's, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, you know, we must take actions. We must limit you, we, you know, so on and so forth. And so mm -hmm. I became my goal to rid myself of that sin. And that's the contradictions part of the mm -hmm. uh, book. It's really about how hypocritical the church is continues to be and when i say church just in the very broadest sense of the term mm -hmm. i know yeah. not every religious organization is the same by any means but in general um the church is really one of the least safe places on earth for people to be not perfect yeah and so that's that was the contradictions part of my story what's the saying ain't no love like christian hate ain't no hate like christian love yeah well i mean i mentioned in the book even that I've often said that like my siblings and my family, my parents are dead now, but my siblings who I don't have a relationship with anymore because I'm gay. Mm -hmm. um, I've always said they hate me with the love of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, the whole love the sinner, hate the sin thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what my sister said to me when she stopped talking to me about 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I mean, that whole thing yeah. is a big reason why I'm not in church anymore. Yeah. I mean, as a, also a queer person, I did not, and also as someone who is in tune with their sexuality, and I was okay with my sexuality pretty early on, as far as just being a sexual being, mm -hmm. I did not see a place for myself as a sex positive person as a young adult in the church, I just felt like, Oh, well I'm having sex and I like it. So I guess I just, I guess I'm not going to church anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I often say that almost every church or religious entity has somewhere in, a, in their materials, their signage, they'll say some version of everyone is welcome. Or all are welcome. Uh -huh. But what you usually find out that that means is that's not a complete sentence. What it should say is all are welcome to come here and then change to be like us. That's really <laughs> what it should say. It doesn't mean you're yeah. welcome to come and stay as you are. It means you're welcome to enter these doors once as you are, but you better change real fast. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't end up being that safe, welcoming place that we envision. I always say too that, um, you can say everyone's welcome, but everyone knows when they're not welcome. Oh, totally. 
very much a come as you are, leave as uh, one of us. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's another phrase out there, come as you are. And I'm like, really? Because there's a lot of dress codes in these churches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and morality codes and... Oh, so much. Yes. Especially that. Yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, having dated the preacher's son in high school, I was the target of the preacher's wife for, on several occasions for who I was and how I dressed and how I spoke. And I asked questions. Oh, You're not supposed to shame, do that. Shame. <laughs> Goodness me. Uh, I wore shorts that went above my knee, although they were longer than a lot of the other girls' shorts. Oh, and I had breasts and I didn't wear sweaters or sweatshirts 365 days a year. So, you know, my breasts were showing. Uh, this, it's, it's like you were a woman or something. I know. Even my prom dress I had purchased at the beginning of my junior year. And just because it was on sale and I stayed pretty much the same size, but my boobs grew. So I had a, it was a little bit more cleavage than when I had purchased it. When I went to their house and saw our prom picture, there was a post-it note over my breasts. Oh, my. <laughs> Fucking Baptist, man. Now, see, my mother used to take Sharpies and alter photos. And so <gasps> she would have taken, like, if there was, say, there's a V where the cleavage is, she would have, because she was an artist as well, so she could do it really masterfully. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't know at a glance what she had done. And then you're like, wait a minute, something doesn't look right there. And she used to do that. Even in children's books, she would put clothes on people because they were modesty was a really big deal in those circles. Yeah. Oh my, yes, very much. I do remember looking through the family photo albums at baby pictures because you know it's a fun thing to do for your teenagers, embarrass them, show them their little photo, post-it notes over all the penises. If it so was funny. like at the hospital or in the bathtub or anything like that, they're post-it notes over all the people. Here's a funny story for you that you'll appreciate, kind of related. But back in the day, because I'm 55, so I'm old enough to remember when the catalogs used to come to your house and you'd get the JCPenney and the Sears and the Montgomery Wards. And then for a while, there was a more upscale catalog, Spiegel, that used to come oh, out. Oh, yeah. Actually, I do yes. remember Spiegel. Mm -hmm. Yes. And my mother, when I started becoming, when I was a teenager, she would go through when those catalogs arrived and she would rip out the women's lingerie section so that I wouldn't see them. <laughs> she Little did thought. she know. <laughs> it never occurred to her that maybe she should take the men's underwear section. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, she she was taking out the wrong thing. I mean, <laughs> not that like, it would have made a difference, but maybe if she left. <laughs> no, I was like, If she'd oh, really known, she probably would have left the women in there. Like, they'll turn them. Yeah. They'll turn them that way. It's okay. <laughs> I was like, you're welcome to those mom take them. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh, so um again your your book you know the third part is about coming out so you know i think that to today's gays <laughs> that have come out say since you know 2010 and those that are 40 and under have had a very different experience with coming out than yeah. people of your generation uh, own sets of issues and things like that. But can you tell us a little bit more about, I mean, you, you put yourself through conversion therapy and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So at some, at some point you had to decide, 
when you were going to start living your life the way that you needed to. And I think you, you tell that story about that moment of realizing like, okay, this is it. I can't keep doing this. So can you share that with the listeners? Cause I think it's beautiful. Well, so I, like I said, I'm 55. I was born in 1966. Um, I always knew I was gay, but I wasn't living in any way out or anything. It was always hidden. But I was very aware of what was happening in the larger LGBTQ community. Before that was even a word, it was, you know, gay rights or gay pride mm -hmm. or things like that. And so I, I was always aware of, I look back now and I go, oh, wow, that was right at the beginning of the gay pride or gay rights movement. Yep. So no wonder the churches that I were in were just up in arms about it. And I kept hearing these stories of, you know, gay prides in San Francisco. And I, I always think it's kind of funny because these preachers would paint very graphic pictures uh, to the audience. <laughs> Verbal Men pictures. in leather and they're yes, hanging out. Doing unspeakable things in the street, you know. That I'm, I'm about to describe a, to you. Yeah. I'm sitting there as a kid, just like, why did I like tell me more? I want to, I want to go to this magical place, you know. <laughs> but um, so then uh the internet came along, and uh I'm really fast forwarding here, but the internet came along. So prior to I'm thinking about what you were talking about with younger people and kind of the disconnect. It's not their fault. They just don't have this shared history. Yeah. But the whole reason like gay bars are important was because once upon a time, that was your sanctuary. That was mm -hmm. the only place you could go. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have apps. You didn't have ways to connect with people. So you had maybe some publications, you mm -hmm. know, you and I both remember the days when the back of some magazines were just full of like yes. ways <laughs> to connect with other people, you know? Yep. And, um, and so then and the internet came along and well between that time also what happened is men cruised mm -hmm. um and i'm sure men aren't the only ones that cruise but they're primarily the ones we think of and when i say cruising that literally means going out and looking for a sexual encounter with someone in a place that is not designed for sex so that could be a public restroom at a department store it could be a park somewhere which is very common um, some of you may remember when um, George Michael got caught cruising yeah. the park in California. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly what he was doing. He was cruising. And um, that has been vilified. And, um, you know, police use that as a way to crack down on gays. Um, because you have to remember, it sounds so illicit. But really, the gay men who are doing this, they're not out there preying on your children mm -hmm. or passerbys. It's 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 one man looking for another man and find, trying to find an out of the way place to to get off. And I guess what I never understood about hearing about you know, George Michael or even that one politician who got caught putting his foot underneath, yeah. like cruising. What what is the whole point of trying to police that? It, it is just people having sex. It's not necessarily people paying for sex, but I guess they're trying to catch them doing it in a public place. And that's, you know, yeah, they, they, they package that under, you know, indecent exposure and things like that. Morality laws, really. It is morality laws. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And, and I, You're just trying not, to police people's sex lives. And that's bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, and I'm not saying I necessarily want everybody to be 
in every public place having sex. <laughs> it's maybe not the world, but we all want to choose to live. And you do want to be able to go take a walk through the park without encountering people. So I Correct. get like Correct. my why you know maybe we could make some different choice but i don't like the vilifying of it and criminalization of it um, what do you mean because it's even catching people who are just trying to like meet somewhere to go somewhere else even if that somewhere else is your mm, house or your, your right. hotel they're interrupting them in the process of i'm simply trying to get to yeah. score a date or you know, right, quote unquote right. date you know what i mean but right. score a hookup so the reason yeah. i brought that up is because that was how another way that gay men met other gay men well then the internet came along and chat rooms came and that brought cruising into the privacy of your home mm -hmm. you didn't have to go to a park somewhere and risk a random encounter you could just go on and cruise who's in the chat room and mm -hmm. and hook up and then of course now that's been replaced with apps but mm -hmm. so back in that day when the internet was coming along i had gone from being a very avid um, cruiser with a lot of, I mean, it was, became a, we talk, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but a very compulsive habit for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then the internet came along and it came so much easier to hook up, um, which fed into uh, my whole, I was just trying to escape the realities of life. I was miserable. Mm -hmm. I was felt trapped. I felt, um, just every negative word you can think of. I didn't think highly of myself. Mm -hmm. I knew I was putting myself at risk, my family at risk, my career at risk because I was a Baptist pastor, you know? Mm -hmm. So all of that. So mm -hmm. um, eventually I hooked, I had a hookup with a guy and we met in a very uh, uh, seedy location mm -hmm. behind, behind the Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so we met, uh, we had arranged this hookup and neither one of us, in retrospect, we neither one of us had a place. We couldn't host, so we had to find some place to meet. So we met in the parking lot, pulled around back of the Kmart, did our stuff. But I will say that in that moment, when I got into the van with him, there was we hadn't shared any personal information because that's the unwritten code. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't tell your name. You don't, you know, it's, it's just about the act. So the gotcha. less information you can share, the better. Mm -hmm. and but when I got in the van with him I just had this overwhelming like message in my mind that just said he is you and I was like I didn't know what it meant but I just felt it felt very different from any other hookup I had done I just looked at him and I'm like we're the same person somehow I don't know what that means but I ignored it we did the thing but afterwards, I think he had felt it as well. And we started letting our guard down and actually talking. And it was kind of like, well, I'll tell you what I do if you tell me what you do. Mm -hmm. And we did. And so there I was, a Baptist minister. And there he was, the Methodist minister. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh -huh. yeah, it's that moment of realization. Like it, it just hit both of us like a ton of bricks that we were looking in a mirror. And it was like, this is not who I want to be. And I don't mean yeah. gay, just like this, yeah. this thing, what the we hiding, just, what the yes. inauthenticity, yeah, mm -hmm. the risk, the yeah. everything. And so it was on that day that we agreed to help each other get help. We just like support one another. Mm -hmm. We were like, okay, let's stay in touch. You go get help. I'll get help. We'll, you know, cheer each other on, so to speak. And so that's when I chose to call 
um, Exodus International, which was mm-hmm. the largest ex gay ministry in the world at that time. And then it's that's no what in existence. Was, that's what Pray Away on Netflix was yes, about. Yes, so right? the the Netflix documentary Pray Away, which is the beginning of the words "pray the gay away," you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a shortened version of that. Up the we always said "pray away the gay." When yeah, we there you go. Those kids. You yeah, go. that's it. Yeah, yeah. So I had um, a friend who her her partner had been sent to one of those. So and yeah. and that's really uh, just an expression. I don't think anybody within those movements ever used right, that yeah, phrase. Yeah. It was more of just a way of describing those kinds of movements. Yeah, it's sort of our, our really... sick way of saying what they're doing. Like, oh, those motherfuckers are trying to pray away the game, yeah, yeah, knowing exactly. like that's not how it works. <laughs> so that started my almost three-year journey in um, ex-gay therapy, or what is now most commonly referred to as conversion therapy. Three years, huh? Yeah. And, you know, that when I say ex-gay therapy at that time, that was the ex-gay movement. Mm -hmm. And that was a very common term. That's how it was referred to. You didn't really hear conversion therapy. You might have heard some gay. Yeah. Reparative. Because the goal was to become an ex-gay or a former gay. Mm -hmm. And so that was (laughs) the whole movement. And so we're going to help you become an ex-gay. Whatever Mm -hmm. that meant, you Mm -hmm. know. So that's that's what I ended up spending three years in is um, through um, group counseling, one-on-one counseling, going to retreats, reading the books, you know, just giving it my all. And were you just suppressing any encounters and cruising and things like that? Chat yeah, there was. Time? Well, I was. I'm pretty good about like when I get really serious about something, I will give it my all. Like mm-hmm. I will jump it. So I was kind of like, okay, Joel, this is your last chance. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing after this. You know, so if because I'd spent my life trying to overcome who I was, overcome my sin and so on and so forth. And so be not not be gay. And so this time I'm like, okay, now, Joel, you're in the real thing. Like That's what this whole thing is designed for. So if you can't become ex-gay through this, then there's no hope for you kind of thing. You know, so you better give it your all. So I did. I really gave it my all. That doesn't mean that it wasn't without some of my old behavior behaviors and things still happening but it's very much focused on um behavior modification yeah sounds like um, go go x gay or go broke yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so it, it was it the counseling was very much about unpacking i don't know that it was ever said like this but essentially what happened to you to make you gay because oh. you're not you're not born this, born this way. way. God certainly doesn't make no. you gay. Oh. No, let's talk about your past. Let's talk about your relationship with your father. Let's talk about the relationship with your mother. Let's talk about if there was any kind of sexual abuse or sexual activities. Let's talk, mm-hmm. you know, and so you, you just I spent a lot of time unpacking these things with the with the counselors, thinking in my mind that somehow I was gonna one day go, oh. You know, the light it bulb comes this. on. That's why I'm gay. Mm-hmm. I look back now and I go, even if there had been that moment, then what? It's not like that changes everything. That's right. like that's like finding out, you know, hating that you have blue eyes and always wishing you had green eyes. And then you go some DNA research and you find out, oh, why green eyes run in your family. Okay, you still have blue eyes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're suddenly going to be okay with that if you didn't well, like it, you know? Well, it's not like many of these people had any understanding or any desire to understand science and what it means between nature versus nurture and what twin studies have said about homosexuality or being queer. Like, 
Well, those people aren't looking at the world. They're sticking with their book and their narrow focus. If you look, if you watch the documentary Pray Away, which I highly recommend, Mm -hmm. um, and I know many of the people that are in that movie, um, and I'm friends with them. Mm -hmm. And it's been controversial because some people have watched it and have felt like, why are we giving these people who caused all this harm, all this attention kind of thing. And then some people watch it and go, um, well, this is about the, you know, the, the people who made this happen instead of about the victims of it. Mm -hmm. And I look at it as this is a way of understanding how and why this thing even came to be a thing. Yes. Thank you. It's not like, We've got the Auschwitz exhibit here at Union Station yes. in Kansas City right now. Um, it's not like I would hope that people go through them. Well, why are we showing this? We're just glorifying Nazis. No, we're trying yeah. to make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah, trying to make sure this doesn't simply shift names. Another organization picks up the work where Exodus International left off. As like they have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a different form, they change the names and language and so on and so forth. But is that not what people simply do? Corporations mm-hmm. get sued and they change their names, you know, mm-hmm. church churches yeah. get in trouble and then they yep. repackage and rebrand. Well, I so I highly encourage people to watch it because it will give you an understanding. And I and I encourage people oh, to be to try to have some compassion for the people who do this because it's like being a part of when you're part of a cult or something, you know, you don't like, I spent so much of my life trying to be gay. I mean, be straight, not gay. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I really firmly believe that that was the only right thing for me to do. And so then when you are given these very absolutes, these standards that you have to live by, then that's what you do. And you make decisions based on these parameters. And so if you believe the Bible is the only source of truth, and the Bible is says that being gay is wrong, then you have no choice but try to figure out how to help people be not gay so that they can live according to the Bible, so they can be blessed of God, so they can so on and so forth. And that's yeah. what these people did. Yeah. Um, they thought they were doing the right thing at that time. Wow. Yeah. Well, like for you specifically, your your alternative to living your life the way you wanted was that you were going to lose everything. Like exactly. You knew you would lose your family even before you were married. No. You knew you would lose your world. It would dissolve mm-hmm. if you were yourself. And totally. And that's that's got- a really scary place to live. Yeah. And. Yeah. And the truth is, I did lose everything. That's um, what I was going to say. You got to the point where but living inauthentically was more damaging to you than hiding and keeping the status quo. Ask me how many regrets I have. How many regrets do you have, Joel? Zero. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Perfect. We'll take, let's, let's take a quick break, and then we can sure. talk about all the reasons why you've got zero regrets. And we'll have you do a little reading as well okay. from Godly But Gay. And talk more about sort of your your new, uh, your sex education, I guess you had to receive once you were fully out. For and sure. But also, again, something that you touched on was sort of the, the compulsion and the, the life out of control aspect and what you yeah. had to learn about yourself to kind of move forward and be your authentic sexual self. Sounds good. 
It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. All right, back from the break. I think something I want to touch on here first was, again, when you were talking about there being a, a bit of compulsion, especially when you were hiding everything. And I, I find that that is so incredibly common that when people are suppressing something that they find taboo or something that will be stigmatized or, again, just it will shatter the world that they live in if this thing came out, then they are suddenly more compulsively driven to do the thing. It, I compare it to, you know, uh, when you make balloon animals, mm -hmm. the, the big long balloons, and if you squeeze it here, then it comes out larger on this side or you squeeze it here. And, and that, that's what I feel like. It's like what's inside of us when we suppress that, when we squeeze it, something is going to come out over here. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes it comes out in the form of some compulsive behaviors even addictions at times, or at least, you know, things that we are, we can develop addictions. Like, let's just say some people turned up drugs, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it will come out somehow. Yeah. And oftentimes in ways that we, that aren't all that pretty or that we aren't that proud of because yeah. we feel like this is out of control, Yeah. but it's the only way we can control the other part. Yeah. Did you label yourself a sex addict for a while? I, that was a newish term mm -hmm. back then, mm -hmm. but yes, I began to think maybe I'm addicted. You know, I have some kind of sex addiction and that was still, like I say, was kind of just starting to become conversational, that kind of terminology. But I did think something was horribly wrong with me because, um, and, and truthfully, my compulsive behavior became, it was out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, I went from, you know, cruising occasionally to uh, the more stress uh, got to me as a pastor. I had started this church from scratch. Mm -hmm. There was a ton of just stress that came with that. My ex-wife, kids, so on and so forth. So the more stressful life became, the more often I was looking for an escape from it. The pressure was so, high and you needed more of a release. Yes. And so mm -hmm. then it became simultaneously with the internet, it became easier also and less time consuming to find that release and uh, so there was time i remember really kind of right before that hookup with the minister mm -hmm. i had times where i'm like i was every hookup was ended with where can i find my next one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes i'd have two or three in a day mm -hmm. depending you know um it was just like okay that was that was great because it's the euphoria of it is very short-lived. Yeah. And so you just start looking for more. So I really thought, man, I am so fucked up. You know, something's really wrong with me. And but then when I sought help, and then I did the whole white knuckle thing, you know, which is like, I'm going to white knuckle this. I'm, you know, I remember trying, you know, not to hook up or, you know, it, when they talk about behavior modification, I always found it really even then, I just kind of wanted to laugh. And they'd be like, well, you know, like if there are places that are tempting to you, don't drive by those. And I'm like, don't, you don't... drive by the park. Don't drive by Kmart. Don't drive I'm by like, the. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you don't understand. If there are men in my environment, that's a tempting place. And yeah. that's everywhere. Like, don't go to the mall. <laughs> I, once, I once hooked up with a guy 
that I looked over at the intersection and we eyed each other and we followed each other to the Sears store, went into the bathroom and hooked up. Oh my God. See? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's like, just living your life. That's not yeah, even like this was just look going over, to a specific place. He's hot. There's interest. Let's follow each other. I mean, mm. so like, how do you be, how do you modify behavior for that kind of stuff? Right. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, but what was really interesting is, um, and I felt, let me go back. I felt a lot of shame about that because um, I'd been taught that, that I was doing something wrong and sinful. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel good. I did know I was putting a lot at risk too. So the shame just feeds the stress, which then feeds the desire for more. And thinking I'm totally out of control. I remember after I came out, I separated from my wife, moved in with a guy that was not seeing, just renting a room from. He was kind enough to give me a room to help me out. Mm-hmm. And I had the internet. I had all my you freedom. Had access and freedom. <laughs> Suddenly, I, I remember thinking, I can do anything I want to now. Mm-hmm. And I, I was so excited about that. It felt like such a sense of euphoria. It was almost like a puberty all over again of like, I can do anything uh, I want to. Yeah. All of these things that I've been sneaking around doing, now I can do them. And, and there was a period of time when I experienced a little liberty, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to do it, you know. And, and I did. And then it began to taper off and it leveled out. And I, re- I remember like the day that there's just like one day in particular where I thought, oh, I'm going to go to the adult bookstore. And then I was like, yeah, I can do that some other time. I got other things to do and I can go there another time if I really want to. Mm-hmm. And I remember like having that, like kind of stepping out of myself and look at me like, what? You're, you can go there. Nobody's stopping it, and you're choosing not to. Uh-huh. And like, a part of and me it won't matter sh- if you get caught or any of the yes. things. Part of me wanted to shake me and go, "What are you thinking? You know, go." You know, and it was like I started realizing, oh, you know, now that I've given myself permission to be me, to do me, so to speak, I now can make choices. I'm not driven by this compulsion. I'm driven by, well, what do I really want? And do I want that right now? And I can get it if I want it, or I can say no, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so um, it to me, it's like once you allow yourself to be who you are and give that permission to yourself, it, a lot of that just melted away. And I think, yeah. man, if I had gone to some kind of pseudo clinic for sexual addiction, no telling what I would have gotten into for that, oh, you know? Well, well, my hope is all they would have done is been like, oh, sweetie, you don't, you're not a sex addict. You're just gay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because especially most likely, unless you've been going to like a Christian sex Mm -hmm. therapist who was, you know, they probably would have given you that like, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with you. You are just a homosexual and that's all right. Um, But yeah, that whole thing with sex addiction, I feel like this conversation has come up a lot lately and I, as a sex coach, try to not pathologize things and saying sex addiction is very pathologizing. And it's sort of to say that there is something that is um, an error and that error needs to be corrected. And that's not to say that some of the things you were doing didn't need correction for both Mm -hmm. your mental and sexual health and well-being. But it's not saying that like sex addiction is by the addiction model supposed to be something where you're like ruining your finances, you're skipping time with 
people in your circle, whether it's friends, family, loved ones who are skipping work. So yeah, you probably had some compulsions in there bordering on it. Elements, elements of that. Yeah. Yes. But the fact that once you had the freedom to just be yourself, that those things did not continue. That says right then and there, there was no addiction. It was mm-hmm. simply the taboo that your yes. mind was like, oh, I just I crave it. I crave it. You craved that charge that you got from doing this thing that was naughty. And, you know, it was a symptom of deeper things that needed to be addressed. Yeah. And once I began to address those, the symptoms started just fading away and balancing out. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really, really what it felt like. It felt like suddenly I can actually make choices now. Mm-hmm. They're not, the choices aren't choosing made for me by some compulsion. It's like I get to choose. Yeah. And that's, uh, that was a really beautiful moment for me to start realizing yeah. that. I'm sure that's empowering. Yes. Absolutely. Speaking of empowering, I was thinking about a passage in your book where you talked about dancing the Madonna in a club. <laughs> so after no. I came out, because I was, I grew up in such conservative environments. Um, we didn't have, I grew up without a TV. We didn't go to movies. We didn't dance, drink, smoke. We didn't. Plus in the date. school you went to, went yeah. to being in the basement of a Christian church. It wasn't like you had peers around you. No. And then I went, from, anything. I went from that to homeschooling. Yeah. And so I was homeschooled all through high school, very isolated. Mm-hmm. And so I was really, I, I always say the best way to explain this is you don't want me on your trivia team. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there there have been some times where I reference something in pop culture and you're like, eh, not yeah. familiar. <laughs> like, ah, oh, sorry, forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I have huge pop culture gaps. So uh, when I when I went out, uh, when I came out and I started going out, this was I was living in South Bend, Indiana at the time, mm-hmm. or in that area, and there was a a gay nightclub there called Truman's, and I wrote a portion of my book that I'll read to you now that, um, yeah. Uh, let's see where I'm talking about the, the sense of, I'm, I'm trying to refresh my memory here. Um, oh yeah, let's just go. With, I was still really young to this, just this concept of freedom and having the freedom to be me. And about how old were you at this point? I was in my mid thirties. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is in the, this is, would have been like 2005. Mm-hmm. So keep that that date's important to remember as I read this culturally relevant yes Mm -hmm. I was still young to the concept of freedom it wasn't that many years earlier why I was still going through what I thought would be the final or excuse me what would be the final sessions of ex-gay therapy that I found solace in a song by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir the words to this is how it feels to be free stirred a longing in me This is how it feels to be free. This is what it means to know that I am forgiven. This is how it feels to be free, to see that life can be more than I imagined. This is how it feels to be free. At the time, I was imagining that life would begin when I was no longer gay, if I could just stick with ex-gay therapy long enough. Instead of freedom, I only found discouragement and defeat. After coming out to myself and God, there was no dramatic announcement to the world or anyone else. I simply began oozing out of the closet and timidly venturing into gay spaces. 
The only images of gay bars I had were from watching the TV series Queer as Folk. It gave me a window into a world I'd only heard described to me by those who hated gays. The clubs in the TV series were sophisticated, glossy, and enormous. At the fictional club, the characters of the show were always surrounded by beautiful, extremely fit, young gay men. Nearly naked go-go dancers gyrated on boxes scattered around the club. The dark hallways and bathrooms were lined with men making out and groping one another. I couldn't wait to experience this kind of gay utopia. I quickly learned that South Bend was nothing at all like queer as folk. Truman's was far from glossy. It was an old brick warehouse with faded but gaudy rainbows and pink triangles painted on the outside. I wondered why it had to be so gay. The first floor was the drag queen performance area. Drag queens both intrigued and terrified me. I didn't understand drag culture. Why would men want to dress up like women? Were these glamorous and sexy women actually men? How could a man look that beautiful? The drag show hostess was known simply as Bradley. She was crass with sharp wit. She didn't try to be believable as a woman. Her legs were hairy and her bulging crotch was always visible. No taping or tucking for Bradley. She was the hostess with the mostess. She excelled at entertaining the crowd and making straight people uncomfortable. She could always spot the newbie who wanted to be incognito, something impossible while Bradley was in charge. <laughs> she would tease and flirt endlessly once she found them. I watched this happen and was terrified of being her next victim. So I spent most of my time upstairs near the dance floor that was in the middle of a large high-ceilinged room. While it was bathed in colorful lights and disco balls, the outside edges of the room were dark and easy to blend into. Sometimes I was recognized by a few men I had chatted with on Gay.com. They struck up conversations with me and we began to get acquainted. It felt very awkward because I was sort of in the closet and yet I was sitting in a gay bar being flirted with. It wasn't Club Babylon from Queer as Folk, but I was enjoying it. As I made friends, they would pull me onto the dance floor despite my objection because I was sure I must look like a fool. Truman's became a Saturday night ritual. I looked forward to it all week long. One night, early on my coming out journey, I went to Truman's, ordered water from the bar, and found a dark table where I could, be, where I could see but not be seen. I sipped my water because I was still afraid to drink alcohol for fear I'd be instantly drunk. And people watched while nodding my head to the dance music. The songs were familiar to everyone else, but it was an entirely new to me songbook. I had been to Truman's enough to recognize a few favorite songs that while I didn't know the artist, title, or lyrics, I knew they made me want to dance. The liberation of being on the dance floor was euphoric. My parents didn't even allow us to clap our hands to songs, let alone dance. <laughs> there I was, by myself, moving my body in complete abandon on the dance floor. I won't call it dancing, because I'm sure it looked more like convulsing to a beat. But as I moved, I felt a freedom unlike anything I had ever known. Due to my sheltered Baptist upbringing, I was only beginning to know some of the pop and dance music of over 30 years of life. 
every song and artist was new to me. I knew the names Cher, Whitney, Madonna, and others, but I didn't recognize their voices or their songs. There was a complete disconnect between the celebrity names and their artistry. Just as I went back to, the, to my seat, the DJ began a new track that I recognized from the handful of previous visits. I didn't know the artist, but I recognized the infectious tune and I knew I had to dance. I stepped onto the light of the dance floor and I thought, oh, I love this song. I wonder who this is. As I let myself go, I listened more closely to the lyrics. When you call my name, it's like a little prayer. I'm down on my knees. I want to take you there. In the midnight hour, I can feel your power. These lyrics seemed vaguely familiar to me. Perhaps it was the religious reference and the choir in the background. It was a strange juxtaposition to hear sacred sounds on a strobe-lit dance floor of a gay bar. I was drawn more deeply into the lyrics. I wanted to know them and the lyrical voice singing them. The song ebbed and flowed in almost a spiritual way. And then the instruments faded, the tempo flowed. I hear your voice. It's like an angel sighing. I have no choice. I hear your voice. Feels like flying. I bowed my head and swayed my body reverently, quietly singing along as best I could, as I could recall those new-to-me lyrics. Now I'm dancing. It's like a dream. No end and no beginning. You're here with me. It's like a, a dream. In that moment, the crowded dance floor became an empty sanctuary that was all my own. I rocked my body to the music. I didn't care who might be watching me. I didn't care what I looked like. I was free, free of fear, shame, judgment. My dance was holy. It was like a prayer of gratitude and joy that here in this sanctuary, I could be unashamedly me. I could dance and no one would stop me. I could dance with men and no one would condemn me. I could be whoever I wanted to be. When the beat dropped and the music suddenly shifted from reverence to jubilation, I was awakened from my trance. When you call my name, it's like a little prayer. I'm down on my knees. I want to take you there. In the midnight hour, I can feel your power. Just like a prayer, you know I'll take you there. I lifted my arms to the ceiling. But instead of the dark ceiling, I saw a sunny, bright blue sky. With tears forming in my eyes, I danced as I had never danced before, with complete, reckless abandon. I felt as if I were rising off the dance floor. I jumped, I gyrated, I clapped. Just like a prayer, I'll take you there. It's like a dream to me. Just like a prayer. Just like a prayer, your voice can take me there. All my life, I had examined music through a fundamentalist lens of judgment and fear. I was taught that the message of the song was the most important part of it. Music like this was blamed for the sinfulness of society. The lyrics of this song were religious, yet I knew they were sacrilegious too. I had become the controversy just by being me. I imagined how horrified the people who knew me as Pastor Barrett would be if they saw me dancing in a gay bar to this song, so obviously not about prayer. Mm -hmm. Wait, this must be Madonna. I remember hearing about her and this song. It was very controversial. I recalled religious people everywhere clutching their pearls when Like a Prayer was released. 
I remember hearing about her and her music from the pulpit. I didn't know what she sounded like, but I knew her music and her videos were extremely controversial because of her unabashed sexual content and use of religious symbolism. I chuckled and blushed at my own ignorance. To everyone else there that night, it was just another night at Truman's. But to me, it was church. I was godly, and I was a sweaty, dancing gay. And I was happier than I'd ever been in my life. As I drove home that night, I realized this is how it feels to be free. Uh, yes, freedom was exactly what I wrote down as you were reading that part. That freedom to authentically be yourself. And yeah, yeah as we were talking about before you read that passage, there is a bit of a gap in understanding of the lack of freedom that people older than me had versus the wide range of freedoms that so many younger baby LGBTs have. And there's still people out there, depending upon where they live um, or who their parents are, who are probably going through the exact same thing that you did. I have people reach know? out to me all the time. Um, and we want to pretend like everyone's free to just be themselves these days. Mm. And there's more liberty, certainly, but not not the amount that <clears throat> every gay kid or every trans kid needs. Yeah. And sometimes um, we impose our own lack of freedom because of fear. Um, and, you know, there's times when, you know, I always say coming out is a very personal journey. I don't ever think that anybody needs to be told how or when they should be out or even if they should be out. That's completely on you. But I do encourage people to examine what's keeping them from being able to be out and be who they are. And is that just fear of what might happen? And it's like, yeah. I learned that a lot of my fears were not bounded we're not ground what's the word i'm looking for founded in any kind of real reality some of them were you know and it's hard like i said earlier i did lose pretty much every relationship i had um and that sounds so horrible and i feel like people are going to go oh don't tell people that because then they're not ever going to want to come out and i'm like but the upside is i got to see who everybody was for real and then i got to choose who i started including in my life yeah and I was yeah. able to create my own family and my own relationships that were true and real and people who love me for as I am. And so it's like kind of a gift. Yeah, because you, you started actually learning what really unconditional love was after that. Yes. Because if all you're receiving from the people in your life is conditional love, I will love you as long as you do X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z or don't do these things. That's not real love. And isn't that a wonderful thing when you get to see how people really are mm -hmm. <laughs> and you go oh i get it you only liked me when mm -hmm. or because you only loved me so now i can go thank you for self-selecting out mm -hmm. and i'm going to replace you with somebody that i know does love me yeah i while i cannot tie my separation from my family directly to my queerness i definitely think that me living my life the way that I have since I started this business in 2017 and just being myself has been a big influence. Mm -hmm. They showed me that a lot of my family, not all, I've got some good aunts and uncles out there and cousins too, but it's mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> the vast majority of them have 
removed themselves or I have removed them from my life because of the mm-hmm. professional love. And yeah. I think and that- you get to, to those people that find that scary. Let me just tell you, it's a yeah. wonderful, beautiful thing when you get to create your own family and relationships. Chosen um, family, yes. yeah. It's it's a really wonderful thing. Something I have talked about with a lot of people is, you know, folks will say blood is thicker than water. You you need to make up with your family. You've got to do everything you can to keep them in your life. But as you may know as well, that's not the real saying. The mm-hmm. saying is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Meaning the people you choose to forge bonds with, the people you forge relationships with based on commonality or shared values or beliefs, those people matter more than the womb that you came from or the people that you came from. I, I, I always tell people when it comes to relationships of any kind, whether it's romantic or just with your family, if it's broken, that relationship is broken, either fix it or throw it away. But there's no value in living with a broken thing. And that sounds really harsh or extreme, but just take it out of relationships and put it into your favorite dish that you have in your house that you're like, oh, I love this dish. It's so beautiful. And, you know, Thanksgiving, we get it out and we uh, put something, you know, really appetizing in it or whatever. And then one day that breaks and you go, oh, but it's my favorite dish. I'm going to put it in the cabinet here because I don't want to get rid of it because it's my favorite dish. What value at that point does that dish have? You can't use it. Mm-hmm. So you might, if you can't fix it, you might as well throw it away because you'll never ever find any real value out of it again. And it's just so, taking space in your life. Yes. So in relationships, I encourage you, it doesn't mean just be willy nilly about this, but I encourage you to go, okay, is this something I can fix? Or is it something that I just need to part with? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is, you can still live with the beautiful memory of what it was, but yeah, yeah you're not going to win a prize because you lived with a broken relationship. Yeah. Hmm. You and I needed to hear that as I think about some, there's, you know, it's not like I'm disconnected from everyone, but there's like, I'm going through things with my, my mother having had a stroke recently mm-hmm. and, you know, the curtain gets pulled back when there's difficulties on in life and things like that. And, uh, you know, you bite your tongue sometimes and then other times you just have to say something and it's tough, but again, worth living your life authentically and the way that you need to live your life based on what you think and what you believe in your values, rather than try to put yourself into the box of everyone else's Mm -hmm. values. There's so much freedom in that. Very true. Well, Joel, I so appreciate you coming back on Keep Them Coming for a second time. Tell tell the listeners how they can find your book and find you, book you for a reading or for coaching, for all the things. Yeah, so I I thank you for bringing that up. The book is called Godly But Gay, and um, you can get it from my website. All of my social media, my website, everything I do is under the title Joel Speaks Out. So you can go to, it's pretty easy to remember, joelspeaksout.com. You can order the book there. You can book me to speak there. You can hire me as a coach 
coach. I do a lot of uh, relation, uh, a lot of personal development coaching uh, through change. I know a little bit about making big changes in life. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> and, um, and I really love uh, working with people. So that's the, the best place you can go. Just go to Joel Speaks Out. Uh, you can follow him in all the different socials. Um, Kristen got me on TikTok and I'm still trying it out there. So I am there. It's a very fledgling account. So if you want uh, No, you're, you just, <laughs> you're just on the precipice of one viral. It's all it takes is one viral video. And it took me a few months before I had one really pop up. And it was just some random video where I was just sitting in the car talking about healthy relationships in the Gottman Institute. So you just never know. It's, yeah. You have a great yeah. TikTok page. Thanks. So anyway, it's all Joel Speaks Out. So I would love to have you follow me, subscribe to my email. I send out very rare emails. So when I do, it's usually something that I think you really will want to know and care about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And keep your eye open in the future. Joel also recently had a short play uh, as part of Alphabet Soup. Let's see, it was blue, pink baby blue blanket. Is that That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I remembered it. <laughs> it a little was a autobiographical. Great... <laughs> yes, it was great. I really enjoyed seeing your play at Alphabet Soup. So folks might see future performances from you, uh, what, you know, like your story being mm -hmm. acted out. Um, but yes, follow Joel, sign up for his email newsletter, stay up to date on all the things. And also, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you might find Joel at the Small Business Development Center here in town. That's mm -hmm. how we met. There, yeah. there really was something the first time I saw you cross first off, you were dressed absolutely fabulous. And I mean, I, I pegged you as a, a handsome gay man from the, the start. Uh, just not many straight men dress as confidently as you do. Great <laughs> fashion sense. You really do. But it's hard to get straight men to Thank be you. as confident in their fashion sense as some of my gay friends. Uh, still that stereotype there. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I just looked at you. I was like, mm, I think that he and I are going to get along. Yeah, Especially and we did. I, when I gave my elevator pitch, I, I am always scanning the room to see how people absorb what I'm saying about what I do. And there were definitely some like pearl clutching, like, uh -huh. but you just went, hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I haven't heard his elevator pitch yet, but I think we've got <laughs> things in common. So. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I'm like, okay, good for her. I like this. <laughs> I like her already. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you as always for your, your support of open the doors coaching and of keep them coming. Y'all golly, the gay is absolutely hilarious. I did actually get to write a blurb on the back of support. Uh, so I'm on the back cover too, but the story that Joel tells about cruising in the mall, it just absolutely about in chapter four, the art of cruising, right? I think is what it's in. I think so. Yes. That's the, Oh uh, my God. Y'all the punchline just fucking kills me. <laughs> that's, that's my clutch the pearls moment in my book. <laughs> yes, it was. But I just, I, it was a laugh out loud moment when you get to figure out where Joel was at the mall when he cruised some hot dude. So pick up got godly, but gay now online or can they find in bookstores right now? Uh, not in bookstores. It is on Amazon, but if, you, if you'd if you like to help me out as an author, I prefer you get it off of my website because then I actually will get the profits from it. Yes, don't buy books on Amazon from, from authors. It, yes. From independent authors. Yeah, from no. independent authors. You need to go straight to the source. Yes, so go to Joel Speaks Out, uh, to, the, to his website, and get it there. So. All right. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you, Joel. 
Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.